Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Appreciate you being here this morning, and I want to echo Dwight's warm greeting to all of you who are here. It is obvious that we have several who are not here due to illness, whether it be COVID or other issues, and I know that um, good to have Kyle back with us. His voice isn't with us, but he's feeling better. He told me that we have at least 40 people who are streaming, so greetings to all of you with Bob Kay, John Maple. I know our missionaries in Portugal, Ricardo, Indiana, Bon Dia are also watching. We have others as well, so it's especially good to be here with you this morning, whether it be physically or virtually. Uh, it's just an honor to be with you. I know it's kind of a chilly morning. Rub your hands if you need to. We're going to be able to get into God's Word. I think it's going to warm your hearts. Uh, we've got a message from Romans 12 that I think will challenge you. I hope that you have been reading Romans 12 during this past week. I really appreciate Dwight in the bulletin. If you notice in the bulletin inside lower left, there are daily thoughts to read from uh, the scriptures that we're looking at together this morning. I hope that you've been doing that. Spending more time in God's Word is such a faith-building experience. So I hope that you're taking advantage of that reading. Through the first 11 chapters of Romans, it is just infinitely clear that Paul is in awe of God. He is just in awe of his grace, of his mercy, of his power. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. I'm eager to preach the gospel. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? Chapter after chapter, verse after verse, you can just tell Paul is in absolute awe of who God is, what he has done, and what he continues to do. But then he switches gear, gears in chapter 12. It's a transition chapter because it's as if he's saying, for these first 11 chapters, I have been sharing with you everything that God is, who he is, what he does for us, but chapter 12, how do we respond to that? What are we going to do with all this information that he's been sharing with us about this amazing God? What is our response to who this God is? In the first two verses that we looked at last week, if you'll turn to Romans chapter 12, in the first two verses, he shares with us, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in view of everything that I've been talking about, this amazing God in these first 11 chapters, here's some things that we should be motivated to be thinking about. We should be living sacrifices, sacrifices that are alive. We should be living lives that are holy and pleasing to God. We should be living transformed lives. We should be having renewed minds. We should live in his good, pleasing and perfect will and I don't know about you but even just one of those would sound like a tall order to me but collectively and together he's saying this is an appropriate response to who God is that is a tall order just even thinking about leading a holy and pleasing life to God much less all these other challenges but what I really appreciate about what Paul is doing as he introduces us to the kind of response that would be appropriate for who this God is, is the remaining part of this chapter that we're going to start looking at today, next Sunday, and two weeks from today, he proceeds to share with us what it looks like to live a devoted life to him. 
What does it look like to have a transformed life? What does it look like to lead a life that is holy and pleasing to God? What does it look like to have a renewed mind? What does that actually look like? And Paul is going to paint a very down-to-earth, practical, rubber-meets-the-road description of what it means to live this devoted life to God. And he begins with verses 3 through 8 that Martin read for us just a moment ago. This is the starting point. And so looking at verse 3, as I read verse 3, I'm just going <laughs> to translate this into just straightforward language that I think is an appropriate place for Paul to begin in terms of letting us see what it means to really live a devoted life to God. Read with me verse 3, chapter 12, verse 3. He says, for the, for the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He's prefacing his remarks because he's about to share with us some amazing things that God is going to enable us to do as people. And in, in my words, what he's saying here at the very outset is now, people, do not get this spiritual big head. Do not get, be getting a spiritual big head based on some things that I'm going to be sharing with you. Because... It's important to recognize the importance of this, the value of this, to be grateful for it. But let's make sure that as we think about these things that, that I'm going to be sharing with you, and he uses this expression that we have sober judgment. In other words, we need to be humble about what he's going to be sharing with us. We need to be grateful, and we need to realize that we're a part of something much bigger than just ourselves. Paul was really into this idea of humility and having sober judgment. When he would write to Timothy, he would say that, you know, Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins, of whom I am the worst. I am foremost. And Jesus would say, listen, after you've done everything that, you, that I've been asking you to do, I just want you to say that you're unworthy servants because you did what you were supposed to do. Notice he didn't say worthless but unworthy in the sense that we're just going to be humble about the gifts and the abilities that God has given to us because we're going to be able to use these just to give him glory and to make sure that he is exalted with our lives. So the very first thing he says in verse 3 as he introduces this section, don't get the spiritual big head. Just know that's the preface. So the second thing we're going to see here from this passage, and this is the one where we're going to spend most time this morning, and it's the title of our lesson this morning, and that is that we are all members of one body. We are all members of one body. Look around the auditorium. You're looking at your fellow members, and together we comprise this body. It's interesting because of all the metaphors that Paul uses to describe the church, the called out, the ecclesia, of all the metaphors he would use, I'm not so sure that body isn't the one that he uses more than any other. And I understand that on a lot of levels because everyone knows about what the body is. We all know functions of the body. We know the different parts that our body play in being this human being that can interact and live and deal with other people. So, so it's not a nebulous thought. It's not a pie-in-the-sky theological kind of thought. He's just saying, I just want you to think of this church family as being kind of like your body with all these different members. And he's going to proceed to tell us some things about these many members making this one body. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 through the end of the chapter, is a wonderful exposition about what it means to be members of this body. Ephesians chapter 4, not only chapter 4, but the entire book is about the body. We as the body. And Ephesians 4 in particular talks about us being the body. Whereas Colossians talks about the head, who is Jesus. And in fact, Colossians 1.18, Paul would say that we are the body of Christ and he is the head. Jesus is the head and we're the body. And so not just here, but also in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians, Paul talks about this idea of body. Now, to be quite honest, the more you study this, the more you read it, especially going into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we can spend the better part of the rest of this day talking about all the implications and the significance of what it really means to be many members of one body. I mean, we would not exhaust the subject at all. We would not become tired and bored with the subject because there's so much meaning here. But I just want to briefly share three things. Just three things that he shares with us in Romans 12 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about what it means to be many members comprising one body. The first thing he says, and these are all very obvious to us, so there's not going to be an aha moment for you here. But the first one that he shares from Romans chapter 12 verse 4 is that we all have different functions. We all have different gifts. We are not clones. We do not all have exactly the same gift. We do not all have exactly the same function. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, when he says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function. If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 and following, he actually is going to paint kind of an absurd picture here. This is almost one that the more you think about it, the more you think, Really? I mean, that's just kind of a ridiculous image that you're trying to portray here. It doesn't even make any sense. It's just, it's just kind of absurd, but you'll understand the reason why he's going this way. But in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And he goes on to use a few other images. Now, your immediate reaction is, well, First of all, I've never heard of a foot that can talk. And second of all, if you had to choose between having a foot and a hand and having both, we don't even have to vote on that. It's pretty obvious. And so he's painting this really ridiculous picture of saying, well, you may see yourself as a foot, but because you're not a hand, you don't think you belong to the body. And, and that's his way of looking out among each one of us in here and saying, don't you dare think for a moment that the gift that the function that God has given you to perform within this body is any less important than me standing right up here and preaching or Kyle or Ted or anybody else leading singing. Every one of us has a different function. If you don't think that every part of your body is important, then you ask Terry Kendrick how important an elbow is. You ask Margaret Merritt how important a hip is. In fact, I was even thinking about it, and I'm sorry, I just saw this, I just had to read it. I was thinking, okay, how about that little pinky toe? I mean, really. I mean, what in the world is that worthless little toe doing? So I read about it. The purpose of the pinky toe is to provide balance and propulsion, says podiatrist Dr. Bruce Pinker. As one takes a step, the foot rolls from lateral to medial and normal foot biomechanics. 
This motion helps us push off to the next step. When the pinky is damaged in some way, the propulsion is limited, leading to an effective gait, affected gait. Occasionally, side effects can be more severe. In fact, our reliance on the foot's tripod of balance, the heel, the pinky toe knuckle, and big toe knuckle is pretty critical. Loss of one of those elements can significantly inhibit a person's ability to skip, run, or walk. The pinky also helps us to push off the side of a swimming pool when diving in. So when, when you're seeing someone walk slowly, just ask them, what's wrong with the pinky toe? Because they're not getting enough propulsion out of that pinky toe. And so I'm sitting here thinking, if you can look at a member of your own body and you relegate it to being something totally insignificant, but now we see from this podiatrist showing us that in his mind is as important as anything else, then all of a sudden we start seeing what Paul is trying to communicate to us here that whether you're the foot, whether you're the elbow, whether you're the hand, whether you're the eye, whether you're the ear, your function is absolutely essential to the well-being and health of the body. The second thing he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, about us being members of this body. In verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't know you. Now just set aside again the fact that these things can't talk, but understand what he's trying to say here. Is it because we all have different functions, members of one body, we need each other. It's obvious that we know that the foot does something differently than what the ear does, equally important. And so what he's saying here is whatever your function is, it's just as important because someone else isn't able to do that, but the fact that you can do it makes this body healthy. It's so important for us to recognize that we need each other, whether we are the foot, the hand, the ear, or the eye. And then he kind of concludes with this thought, also in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, and you can find it over in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, about being members of the body. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5, when he says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to one another. I'm sure that when you were growing up, just like... It happened in my life, it happened in your life, when, when you were given something, maybe it was a birthday present, maybe it was Christmas, maybe whatever gift you received, you probably remember that lecture from your parents or grandparents or someone talking to you about the importance of how you treat things that you own, that belong to you. Take care of these things. Don't worship it, but take care of it. Don't abuse it. Respect it. Be grateful for having received it. There are certain attitudes that your parents, grandparents, someone else tried to impart to you as you talked about what it meant to have something that belonged to you. So as we look across not only who is sitting here today, but those who are live streaming with us, others who couldn't be with us today, we understand, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. This is what was really disturbing to Paul. When Paul was writing to the church in Corinth and they had their share of problems, they had their share of division, strife, issues, it's almost like he's pointing to the fact, you know why that's happening? is because you don't have equal concern for one another. You don't understand that you belong to one another. 
You own one another. We need to take care of one another in that sense of understanding that we belong to each other. Don't get the spiritual big head. Realize that as members of one body, that we have different functions, different gifts, each equally important, absolutely essential. And that because we have these different functions, we really need each other to be able to have normal functioning life and that we belong to one another. But then he concludes with this in verses 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I call this the, the if-then section, 6, 7, and 8. If-then. If this is your gift, and he lists seven here, if this, year, if this is your gift, then use it. Then do something with it. In fact, in fact, it would almost be a sign of having a spiritual big head if we didn't really use that gift, acknowledging that it was by God's grace that it was given to us. Because we know that dormant gifts become dead gifts. Just as in our body, if there are muscles that we're not using that eventually will decay, then certainly as we recognize that we are members of one body, that each member has a particularly important place to fulfill to be able to let this body function. And Paul gives us these seven examples. Now, what I find interesting here, and I'll, I'll mention it just a moment here. What I find interesting is, first of all, when he talks about prophesy, you immediately think about talking about something in the future. In, in, the, in the general sense of the word prophecy in the Bible, it's not just always preaching about the future. It's proclaiming God's word. It's sharing God's word. In fact, there are even prophets in the Old Testament who were called prophets, and all they did is talked about things that had passed and not even anything about the future, but it was just things in the past. So, so that sense of prophecy is proclaiming the word. You have opportunities, as I do every day, to proclaim that word. I met with an individual this week, probably no different than a lot of you, who is just feeling totally overwhelmed by the virus and everything about the virus and the isolation coming from it. Sound familiar? You, you're seeing that person in the mirror every day. You know the weight of it. And, and, and we just started talking. And it just, just seemed to me that the only thing that needed to be done is we just needed to share some time in God's word. We just needed to have a word from God of reassurance. And it's what you have the opportunity to do. It's what I have the opportunity to do. When you have people that you're meeting with now who are dealing with the struggle of at this particular time coming up on two years with the virus, God is presenting you with opportunities to pray with that person and help comfort that person. Serving, serve one another in love. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom of many. Maybe it's teaching, maybe it's encouraging. And if it weren't so embarrassing, I would, I would love to just start picking out people in the auditorium who I know have the gift of teaching, of encouragement, of prophesying. But then it's kind of interesting here, and I really don't know why, and I don't really have an answer for it, but I'm just going to throw it out there and let, let you ponder it. It's interesting that in these first four gifts, he says if, if, you have, if your gift is prophecy, then prophesy. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, encourage. But then 
When he gets to giving, he says, if your gift is giving, he doesn't just say give, he says give generously. And then the next one, he says, if your gift is leading, he doesn't just say lead, he says lead diligently. And then finally, he says, if your gift is showing mercy, don't just show mercy, but show it cheerfully. Now, I don't know why he had to give, are those adverbs? Yeah, thank you. I had to look at my grammarian over here, Gwen. Uh, those are ad why would he have to give adverbs to these particular action verbs and not to the other ones? Why didn't he say, if you're serving, then serve humbly. If you're teaching, then teach intelligently. He, I don't know why. That's just totally aside. I know Tom appreciates it. So just, Tom, when you get the answer, be sure and let me know. I don't know why, just parenthetically, just woke up one night during the night and I thought about that. So let me bring it to a close. And I don't want to sound dramatic, overly dramatic. It's not my intention. But as, as I pondered some more about this section of scripture, many members, one body. I probably could say this in any year, but it, it just seems like it's really critical right now. And that is, I just think that more than ever, absolutely more than ever, we need to really be praying and functioning as a healthy body to give glory to God. This world needs to see a healthy body. There are so many unhealthy things taking place in our world right now for all the different reasons that you know that I do not have to expound upon, but more than ever, I mean, more than ever, we need each other. We really do. More than ever, we need to remember that we belong to one another. More than ever, we need to believe and understand that these gifts that God has given to us need to be used to be a blessing to other people. I just want you to know that your shepherds are keenly aware of the challenges that are facing us as a church family. I think one of the most disturbing things for me, having been a part of this church family for many years, as many of you, is that one of the things that I know that we have always been known for, and, and I say this with humility and not with arrogance, is that we've always been known as a very serving church. Wouldn't you agree? We've always really been into serving people in our community. We don't look at needs and turn the other way. And what's so frustrating is that we're being handcuffed somewhat now because of the virus. We have to respect social interaction. We can't be as engaged. And believe me, our shepherds, we are very keenly aware of that and realizing that it's like we're having one hand tied behind our back and asked to go into a boxing match with Mike Tyson. I mean, it's just not fair because we're not getting to exhibit what we do so well. Part of the reason I'm saying that is because I know we have visitors here this morning. Oh, I just want you to know that this is not who we are just sitting here this morning. We're so much more than just sitting here in this auditorium. We're really into serving people. And I would just say, be patient with us. Please do not give up with us. As, as we have opportunities in upcoming weeks and months to be able to get back to serving, we need for you to be shoulder to shoulder with us. I just want you to know that our shepherds are so concerned about it. We meet every other Monday night for two or three hours. We get into God's word, we pray, we, we 
talk about our concerns for this church family. We're going to be tapping you on the shoulder. We're going to be looking at different venues to be able to reach out to you, to get input from you, to share with you, to encourage you, for you to encourage us. Just know that there is not one person sitting in this auditorium that does not have a talent or a function that is absolutely essential to the well-being and health of this family. Don't you think for a moment that that is not true? And we're going to try and convince you of that. We're going to continue to try and build upon that. So Charles said it real well the other night in our shepherds meeting. We're not just going to put everything on the back burner and wait six months or nine months or 12 months to kind of get back into the groove. We're going to still press ahead as if nothing was going to impede us from that. We may have to be diverted from some things we want to do as a church family, but we're still going to press on and be the body, the healthy body that God needs for us to be, not just here, but throughout the entire world. So I would say this, if, if you remember anything, and I know some of you, the only thing you're going to remember is the pinky toe, but I know that if there's anything that I have said this morning that I want you to remember, that I want to impress upon you, it is this, and it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. Let me read the verse, and then I'll tell you what the thought is. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, when Paul says, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God has placed each one of you in this church family for a reason. A good reason. A perfect reason. And that's also to those of you who are live streaming. Do not think for a moment that God has not deliberately placed you, every one of you, in this church family for an excellent reason. You may not understand it completely, but God does. And so I, I just want you to know, do not leave here this morning thinking for a moment that my function or Ted's function, or Gwen's function, or James's, or Scott's, or Ray's is any more important than any function you have. Pray about the gifts and the talents that God has given to you. Understand that we are many members, but we form this one body. As this one body, the reason why we want to be as healthy as possible is because we want to make sure that we're always honoring the head. And we recognize that Jesus is the head of this body. We need to reflect him in everything that we say and do. And we acknowledge that Jesus is that head through the things that we say, the way we interact with people, the way we see people. And certainly when we come together on the first day of the week, we acknowledge who Jesus is even as we participate in the Lord's Supper, recognizing that his death, burial, and resurrection give us hope for a new life, give us hope to understand that we can be with God one day as well. So we're going to transition into the time when we commune with one another and with God. If you're visiting with us and you wish to participate with us in the Lord's Supper, please feel free to do so. Uh, the bread and the juice are on tables here and also in different places in the back of the auditorium. We do want to respect social distancing. Jack, do you have the prayer? If Jack, you can go ahead and make your way down. We're going to participate and acknowledge who the head is because we want to be a healthy body that reflects on him, that honors him. And we'll do that now as we partake of the Lord's Supper.